Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the no-fluff actionable marketing podcast for marketers, marketing consultants, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you'll learn how to stop sounding like all the other people in your industry and find out what makes you different and interesting to your target audience. So my guest today is a consultant, a speaker, a copywriter, and the founder of what she calls the Statement P-Studio. I'd really recommend you to check out her website. I'll let you know the, the name of the website soon, but it's quite different from what you uh, used to see out there from consultant websites. Uh, she's also the co-host of the YouTube marketing talk show called Hamia, which stands for Hillary and Margot Yell at Websites, which I, I guess it's a better name than, uh, than the hashtag Hamia. Seriously, you should keep the, the long version. She has her work featured on Business Insider, The Next Web, The Observer, and more. She's helped more than 1,000 brands all over the world uh, get seen and stand out. And nowadays, as I said, she helps small businesses define their, what she calls statement piece, which is the bold point of view that makes them radically different to their perfect people. Hilary Race, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Louis. I'm so happy to be here. We have a lot of things in common. I think you are quite contrarian in nature. You like to go against the grain. I do the same. I thrive on it. Uh, I would recommend everyone listening to this right now to check out your website, hilaryrace.com. Um, it's quite bold. It's quite out there. I love it for this particular reason because it takes some guts to do, to do this. So well done. Talking Thank you about, very much. You're very welcome. Talking about this topic of standing out. We talked about that a few times in the podcast. I believe in it so much that I was super happy to have you to talk about that more. It seems like all we can hear nowadays is like data, 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 right? Data-driven marketing mm -hmm. and all this bullshit. Well, I agree with data, right? You need data, but data doesn't necessarily mean spreadsheet and numbers, right? Data could come from actual people talking to you. So yeah. there seems to be a disconnect because on one hand, everyone says data. On the other hand, they really, really seem to struggle to send out. More and more, you can see the divide. So why do you think it's coming from? Like, why do you think it's, there is such an issue between the two? Well, I think the wonderful thing about data is that it is a, even if it's qualitative, often data is the best way to produce and create a reliable and consistent results for all intents and purposes. That doesn't mean that every data-driven marketing strategy works. Unfortunately, that is just not true because the world is random and there are so many different factors that go into a launch or a product. But I think the interesting thing about being data-focused, and my friend pointed this out to me because, as you know, like a lot of my brand is very creative. A lot of my messaging is creative. I tend to come at things, as you say, contrarian from different angles that are perhaps not supported by data. Something like an Everybody Hates Marketers podcast, for example, probably was not a data-driven idea necessarily. And a friend pointed out to me, uh, it can it can, it can make you self-conscious as a marketer and a creative to think like all these people are relying on numbers or these uh, interviews and all this stuff in order to make all of their decisions. It feels like, am I, am I being unwise by choosing to listen to myself and create a more, uh, and develop a more creative kind of persona online? And a buddy of mine pointed out, It's like the difference between the physics kids and the theater kids in high school. You know, both of them are successful, but they're two completely different zones of genius. And the wonderful thing about my SaaS marketing friends is that they're all incredibly good at what they do. They're very driven by results and statistics and all these wonderful things. However, if I were to raise one complaint with the SaaS industry, for example, it would be, again, that everybody looks the same. Because often when you operate in a space of I need provable data in order to take a step or take this risk, then in many ways, is you're cutting yourself off at the knees. And I think one thing we don't talk about enough in the entrepreneurial world is self-trust for this reason. What do you really want to create? What do you feel people are asking you for? What's going to make you excited to show up every day? Which creates kind of different results and different goals than just what does the data say? What are my people telling me after I sent them this survey? Yeah, and that's something I've learned from DHH, uh, from Basecamp. That was actually the first episode of this podcast two years and a half ago. And he was talking about the fact that you always have imperfect data, right? So even yeah. in a data-driven world, right, you cannot get 100% perfect data and people who obsess over them are missing some sort of this gut feeling that you can have about the name of this podcast or the, 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 the visual identity of your website. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think people, it's, it's less fun to be data driven. And I actually have this discussion with my fiance a lot because he actually works in data. And we talk about mm. the fact that while data, I know, so I hope you're listening, Zach, love you. Um, he <laughs> is, and he and I have argued about this a little bit in the sense that data, as you say, is not always perfect. There are different elements that make a successful brand, successful campaign beyond just what are the hard numbers? Because of course, with data, there comes with a, a host of other challenges. Like, is this being interpreted correctly? Did we do this the right way? Did we ask leading questions? in our client interviews. Uh, one of my clients is actually a, a UX professional from Silicon Valley, and she actually takes issue with a lot of ways that a lot of marketers conduct customer interviews right now because they may not be asking objective questions. So it's it's really interesting to see, whereas data is seen as the most reliable sort of stance for building something. It's not always the only way, and it's not necessarily the way that's going to make waves either. And sometimes you just really want to make waves. You want to do something different and be memorable. I think it is really hard to connect memorability with data. Being memorable is about creativity in my experience. And that is being memorable is so important. So creativity is a word that is kind of be thrown out quite a lot, right? A bit like fucking data driven and, and stuff like that. <laughs> what does it, so what does it mean to you to be like, what does creative means as opposed to the data side? Very much like, as you said, the physics kid versus the theater kid. Mm -hmm. I think just what does creativity mean to me? Oh my God, how long do we have? Because I'll be here another three hours talking about this. I think at the outset, uh, I find creativity to be the connection between what excites you and what your people need. What brings you joy to share and what people are not necessarily asking you for in surveys, but asking you for in general day to day. For example, I opt in the statement piece framework, which is an idea generation tool for entrepreneurs, basically to help them take notice of their ideas and pick up the best ones and realize what they get fired up about. Because as entrepreneurs, we forget to spend time with our own ideas. We forget that we have stuff worth knowing and talking about beyond that seven steps for the perfect high converting opt-in blog post that we read before we started building the thing. And I find that when you People were asking me over and over again. The reason why I created the framework was that people were asking me how I came up with my ideas for my blog posts, why I started having the conversations on social media I was having. And the reason for that was that I was having these ideas just tickling the back of my brain all the time. And I needed a place to sound off. And I started doing that regularly, started understanding when I was having good ideas that were probably going to take off. I learned to take notice about topics that were incredibly interesting to me that I wanted to dive in deeper because I found when I started digging into this stuff, that's when I got the best response. It wasn't when I looked at, you know, the hundred best blogging prompts for copywriters. It was when I had an idea rattling around in my head that I said, I need to put out there because I know if I'm struggling with it, my people are probably struggling with it too and want to talk about it. So I find that's what creativity means to me. Yeah, I love this answer because I think it comes from the fact that when you have your, like your gut telling you something and you really are energized by something in particular, chances are that you're not the only one, right? And because yes. we are 7 billion, nearly 8 billion, I think at this stage on earth, you're not, you're not unique, right? Just give it a, yep, give true. it a rest. It's yeah. <laughs> and your audience as marketer, we've talked about that a lot in this podcast, your audience must be small, especially when you're starting out and you should seek for a small number of people who actually give a shit about you. And I think yeah. this type of feeling is, is the best way to go about it, right? You, you trust your judgment, you trust your gut, you come at it from an angle that is unique to you and you stop looking too much at data, you just push for it and see how people react. Um, which is how I've done this podcast, right? If I, as you said, if I had looked at yeah. data-driven and blog posts, I would have been doing a yet another marketing podcast or the... So marketing is, marketing is fine. The, yeah. <laughs> the marketing is, is it's good for you, podcast. <laughs> Bullshit. So yeah, I got, I, I concur with you. And I think a lot of listeners are, are as well. Uh, what they're probably curious about now to know is, okay, that's all well and good creativity and all of that. But how do I actually pick ideas that will stand out? How do I make sure that I connect with my people that matter the most to me? And I know you have some sort of a framework, so let's go into it, right? So how do you start mining those ideas? How do you make sure that you, you start standing out? What is the first step? Absolutely. Um, and I think one thing to remember before 
I explain how these ideas kind of come to pass is that good ideas are not necessarily, there are no original ideas, as you said, we are not special. There is uh, pe- There are people in the world thinking about the things we're thinking about and having concerns that we share. So I find that what really makes an idea stick, what makes an idea memorable, what makes an idea connect is the energy behind it. It is the excitement, it is the passion, it is the uh, fire with which you deliver the idea. And that's why I created the Statement Piece Framework, because I wanted people to connect with those specific ideas, not just the most strategic ones. The ones, although they are strategic by nature, but the ones that get them the most fired up. So how the uh, statement piece framework works is there are actually identified three what I call statement piece scenarios. Um, remember, the statement piece is basically like a big idea or something that is really unique to you, your point of view, personal philosophy. So I identify these three scenarios where I experience them coming up time and time again. And the three scenarios are, first, uh, the conversations you have with your clients. And in every uh, in every scenario, you can be anti or advocate. So, for example, when you're in a conversation with a client or customer, there's always something they say, almost always something they say that will make you be like, yes, want to crawl inside the screen and be like, yes, can we do more of this? Can I clone you? Absolutely. And there's often something they'll say that will make you slap your forehead and say, oh, my God, if no one ever says that to me again or tries to make that point or suggestion again, it will be too soon. Let's talk about this. <laughs> and I find because I found myself bumping into that again. And again, the second scenario is conversations with your colleagues where you are having dinner with somebody or a couple of glasses of wine deep and the conversation is flowing and you always tend to circle back around to the same topics because those are the topics that are important to you. Same thing, anti and advocate. What's something that both of you want to just like throw your hands up and say, oh my God, this is so dumb. I'm so sick of this. Can we wipe it from the earth? It is a scourge. And then by the same time, there's something, maybe a breakthrough in the industry or an article you both read or a book or an idea that you've been discussing that both of you get so excited about. And then you start digging in and you leave that dinner thinking about what you were talking about and what you were in that big idea. And then the third scenario is conversations you have with yourself, especially as entrepreneurs, I think we are historic overthinkers uh, at in, in Olympic levels, truly. So there are always these ideas that come back into your mind again and again, things that you're always picking apart, turning over, trying to see from all angles. And those ideas deserve to be ejected from your head and shared with the world because that is what's important to you. Nobody, chances are, very few people are thinking about this as hard as you are right now. And the world needs to learn about it and see about it. And this is also how we continue to share more of the nuance of entrepreneurship, more beyond the basics of marketing, beyond the six steps. This is how we share the ideas that are unique, that we're excited about, and share a perspective that is going to make people sit up and take notice. So I've been fighting with my mom for the last maybe five years about her writing a fucking book. She's a child psychologist. You know, she helps autistic kids in particular, autistic families to like live better and, you know, become better between themselves, educate their kids so that they can live generously. She's doing fantastic job, right? And she learned a lot from other people and also from her experience. And whenever I tell her, you must write a book, she says, everything has been written already. Why would I write yet another book? Why do you tell, what do you tell her? I say, no, you have not written that book. People, again, this is the discussion. There are no original ideas, but there are ideas presented by people in unique ways that resonate with their target market. I think reminding your mom, and I actually had this conversation with somebody about something I'm working on. And it's like, oh, I feel like everything's been said. How, why do we need to, why do people need to know about this? I don't really want to fall in line with this and, and create something that I think is going to be useless because again, everyone's sort of said it. But nobody is coming to the table with your mom's specific experience, background, personal life, home life. There, she has a unique perspective that people need to hear. Because while, yes, the ideas may not be entirely original, because we are a communication, a communicative species, and often we are sharing uh, similar ideas among each other. But nobody is coming to the table with their mom's sense of self. She has a unique perspective that other people might need to hear, whether people like her, people with families who are just starting out. There is a, an, a need for absolutely everybody's perspective in some form. So I would encourage her to remember that while ideas have, of course, been said before, they have not been said by her in the way that she would say them with the unique experiences and stories she has to share. Yeah, I tell her what you're telling her. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling her that in, in much more forceful language. But yes, so yeah, thanks for that. So let's go back to the framework. First of all, uh, as you said, it's conversation with clients, conversation with colleagues, conversation with yourself. Those are the three sources for mm-hmm. you. Yeah, yep. So let's go to the first step, conversation with clients. What should mm-hmm. you... So you talked about 
the energy, like the things that really energizes mm-hmm. you or that you fucking hate, you just can't wait to just, you know, you want to just bash it against the wall and just do something about it. Yeah. For me, for example, it's this concept in marketing about constantly naming new shit that existed before. You know, product marketing, affiliate marketing, customer marketing, whatever marketing is always conversational marketing, you know, all of these new concepts that talk about the same human focus, human focus, <laughs> user driven, data driven, like all this yeah. bullshit. So I fucking hate that because I think it adds to the clutter and to the noise and adds to the overwhelm instead of adding clarity. I could talk about it for hours. Yeah. So that to me, that's an example. Yeah. But didn't, I don't know if it came from a conversation with clients rather than just conversation myself. So it's probably a bad example. Anyway. We're talking to clients every day, right? Whether you're a freelancer, whether you work in-house, you're talking to people, to customers. What should you look out for in detail? And mm-hmm. what should you write down then? Like at the end of the conversation, should you start writing down those things? Or like, how do mm-hmm. you advise people to go about this? Well, there's a whole, I've got to pull up the framework and revisit. There's a whole sort of process for learning how to examine those ideas within the framework. But basically, when I, uh, when you realize that you've hit on an idea, again, you will feel the energy sort of, tend to, you tend to surge through you when something is really, really annoying you or really exciting you. So when you get off the call with the client, I would recommend writing down sort of what they said, uh, what made you react the way you reacted, and how you would either solve it or fix it or wipe it from the earth, or how you would want to, uh, the reasons why you want to share it with more people. Because often I find the anti advocate, with advocate, of course, you want to spread the word, you want to make sure people know, you want to make sure nobody's missing this brilliant thing that you're thinking about and seeing. And with advocate, you're like, fuck this, I am over it. Here are the reasons why I'm over it, and here's why you should be too. And then also, I find um, presenting a, a solution of some kind or a suggestion for how to shift when you're being anti is essential. Otherwise, you're just yelling at people. Because um, I can get I can get on the internet all day and be like everything is bullshit. But you know, you, if that doesn't really help anybody, because in the in the grand uh, marketing one-liner wisdom, everything is working for somebody. But I think uh, presenting when you are coming at something from an anti-angle, here's why this is wrong, but presenting a solution and presenting sort of how you would fix it or how you would counter it makes it a lesson for people instead of just a rant. <laughs> and when you say, fuck this, I, I, <laughs> I like the, the head going back and like it looked like a, like a meme. <laughs> That's really good. Thanks. So yeah, for people listening who, who can't see you, because you have a lot of energy <laughs> on this one, I can see. So yeah. take note what energizes you, like what you, what you want to spread, what you, what you want to go against. But then what should you do with this? Should, should you start just writing and sharing any of those ideas or should you filter yourself a bit more? Should you, should you, you know, which one should you select first? How do you go about turning that into something from the outside? I, so I'm always a fan of doing the absolute easiest, whatever is easiest for you in terms of sharing the idea. So uh, for some folks that is hitting record on their video and creating a quick something for their list. For some people, it's sitting down to write a blog post. For others, it's creating a post on social media or a Twitter thread maybe that's going to get them excited. But um, I encourage people to share in the way they like to share most. And if they're totally new, they pick the way they think they're most likely to succeed. Because I think a lot of people get in their head uh, because they sit down and like, okay, I'm going to write a blog post. And three weeks later, they're like, I have the outline. Yeah. Cause they really want it to be perfect. But when, what is a priority when it comes to sharing ideas is of course you want clarity of concept, but it really is about passion. It's about learning how to shoot from the hip, which is what I encourage all of my students to do because I find we can analysis paralysis ourselves into never sharing anything or saying anything. If we're concerned with what's going to be the right way to do it, what matters most is that you have an idea that you, you want to share so much that it has no choice but to be out of you. So it's just a matter of choosing what is the best platform for you. In my case, for a while, I was writing on media before they changed the rules uh, when I didn't like my old website design. Now I'm back on my own blog, mercifully. But I'm a writer by trade. Not everybody is. So the answers and concepts you come up with in the statement piece framework you can use on your podcast, on your video shares, on your social media, on your blog, in your emails, to your list in conversations you have with your mastermind, whatever it may be, you can use it anywhere. But what matters is that you get into the habit of sharing these ideas, learning how to build on them and learning how to create momentum, whether it's in your content marketing strategy or just the discussions you're having overall, the momentum that's born of putting your ideas out there and taking some kind of stand. Everybody in branding, marketing has to take a stand of some kind and we forget that because we're so focused either not offending somebody or making sure that we sound like an expert and all this stuff. First of all, it takes the fun out of it. And second of all, it makes us blend into the background. So again, learning how to strike when the iron is hot with these ideas, share them and become in some ways fearless about the ideas that are important to you. It's just a great habit to build and it's going to make you unmissable in your market, period. 
Yeah. So two things to say on this. First, I, I'm glad you're mentioning about you don't have to write a fucking blog post. I'm sick of hearing this advice over and over again. You should have a blog. You should write about it on the blog. Guess what? I'm a bad writer. At least I, it doesn't energize me. What energizes me yeah. is talking to people who are smarter than you uh, than, than me uh, on podcast, YouTube, whatever. I like conversations. I like the verbal just bouncing of ideas, which is why this is why I tend to to spread and share those ideas. So that's that's the first yeah. thing. Uh, and the second thing that I'm going to completely forget is uh, the fact that uh, the shipping stuff, stuff fast without thinking about it, right? So instead of what saved me from just being a boring marketer where like with a boring career is realizing that what matters is not really the result you get, it's more the process that you put into it. So, Bingo. you know, it's like... It doesn't fucking matter. I'm going to ship a podcast episode every week and I don't give a shit whether I feel it's good or bad. I'm going to ship. And, yeah. you know, focusing on the frequency rather than the result. And that saved me. And now I'm fearless because of it. Do you agree with this? You seem to agree with this, but tell me more. Oh, please. Absolutely. And I think some, often so much of my best stuff uh, is actually was I sat down and produced in 90 minutes, three hours, four hours, one shot. Uh, and I put the idea out there because I find um, learning to, again, strike where the iron is hard and show up and put it out, even if it doesn't feel perfect, is a great habit to be in as a content creator, period, because it starts to de- uh, tangle your ego almost from the work. You get used to people loving it, ignoring it, hating it. You get used to people pushing back with criticisms. You get used to people responding to you. And if you want to be a thought leader, if you want to be a content creator, if you want to be a voice, you have to get in that habit, not just of creating and putting it out there, but responding. But, but accepting response and understanding response and learning how to kind of roll with it because you need to become fearless. If you want to be a voice that stands out in any industry, in any market, you have to be willing to show up again and again and again and again. And that's not going to happen if you're spending three weeks working on a blog post that you hate writing. And then when one comment is anything less than, you know, joyful, oh my God, you're so smart, bless you, you're the best, you, you crumple into a little ball of sad Good, aluminum foil. You know what I mean? Um, so I think it's people forget that that's a muscle that you have to build. The best content creators out there are were, did not just show up being like, I am fully formed. Hello. Yes, I'm a genius <laughs> and all of my ideas are perfect. It is very much, I tried a hundred things and some of them sucked, some of them were great. And now I know how to focus on what's great because I had that experience. And I had a post that I did um, that went was like alarmingly viral. I remember being like frightened that a little bit uh, that I did in 90 minutes. It was in 2017 and it was called uh, Seven Observations from a Crumbling Niche. And I think it was seven, but I, it ended up getting like 20K views in a few days. And actually Andre Chaperone um, has it in his uh, pre-sale page for the sphere of influence, uh, sales page, which again, knocked me sideways. Um, but that was something I sat down and I was mad. I was really mad because I was behind. I worked with so many high level clients and I was speaking at events and everyone would sit around the table at the end of the event and talk about what was crumbling and broken in the industry. And they would all talk to each other about it. Who was bullshit? Who was stealing money? Who was struggling and pretending to be rich? And they, and then they would get up on stage and promise their, like their, because you know, that's what they have to do. They can't be like, well, let me gather around children. Let me tell you what sucks. You know, you want to sell people encouragement, but they would get up on stage and teach these principles and like use these people that they were bashing the day before as examples. So I was like, all right, you know what? Here's what's going on guys. Like here's what's fucked up. And I just went down a list of seven things and got it off my chest. And the response was insane. And in some ways it was foolish uh, to do because I think I, I pissed quite a few people off, but such is the nature of the business. Um, but it was the response I got and the um, applause I got from people I really respected in the space for it. Um, it really changed my mind about what makes great posts. You don't necessarily have to be angry all the time, but you do have to tell the truth. And sometimes you got to speak a little bit of to the little bit of the marketing elite and make sure you bring as many people on the same page, seeing the same things uh, that you are as you can, because then everyone can move forward together. That was yeah. a long answer. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's perfect because that should encourage people to, to, to do it. Right. So the, the typical thing yeah. that I used to do was you have an idea, you write, as you said, you write an outline, it took you three weeks, then you take another three weeks to fucking write it, then another three weeks to publish it. And then nothing happens, right? Nobody gives a shit. And that's mm -hmm. when people stop, 90%, 99% of people stop there and get yeah. demotivated. And instead, what I would really recommend, and you mentioned it again, is sticking to a frequency and just 
just shipping, whatever it takes, just ship, 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 and then you'll get better at it. And that's going to remove this element of, oh, I hope I'm going to have comments this time. No, it's just about being true to yourself, yeah. being true to your process, just shipping, whatever you decide. Like Seth Godin does it every day. He's a fucking genius. But uh, how many, uh, yeah. what's your frequency for Hamia? Every two weeks, every week? What is it? We are every two weeks. We film every two weeks. We were working on a stepping up uh, to every week, but that is... Uh, progress because both of us are really busy. Margaret's working on her book and I'm working on, I'm leading an incubator and working with clients, but um, that, and this was, this always surprises people. So I hand out every other week because that's what makes sense for us. We forget that we have to create a ship schedule that makes sense for us for a long time. Uh, and still to this day, my blog post goal is one post a month. That's it. Like, of course, should it be every week, every two weeks, probably. But I know that I'm going to show up every single month and write and present something that I'm proud of. And that's what fits in my schedule because I have I work with a ton of clients at any given time. I'm a coach. I'm a consultant. I'm a teacher. Um, I'm on the road speaking. I'm doing all of these things. So I find that once a month works for me and I put something out once a month I'm proud of and it still gets the momentum going. It gets me in the cadence. It gets people in the habit of looking for my content. And blessedly, having a consistent schedule, even if it feels really spread out, really helps with those with that ego piece with that like oh god are people gonna like it because if you are producing consistently no matter how far the the post or episodes are apart you are getting in the habit of remembering if it sucks people's memories are short and there's always the next one if it rocks people are going to be sharing it you're going to feel great and you're going to be twice as excited to sit down at your desk next time you don't i don't think you can realize the number of podcasts who started asking me like podcasts are asking me for advice and say i'm starting a podcast as well who by the time, you know, six months pass where they stopped, right? And yeah. even if they were publishing every week, or every two weeks, or every month, right? And what you said here about consistency is so important. So when you stick to a frequency, you fucking stick to it, meaning no matter what happens. I've been publishing yeah. every single week for two years and a half, and I could have stopped multiple times, but I haven't. Consistency is so important to build trust. And so if you pick something, you need to realize that the frequency, you need to be able to maintain this. It might sound good that you publish a blog post every day, but if after a week you, you stop, then, then it's, just, it's, just, it's just useless. So yeah, pick a frequency yeah. that is linked to like your ability to deliver and do this for one, two, five, 10, 20 years, right? That's what matters. Yep. Yeah, and I think people forget to think about it in those terms. Like, and if, if you, again, are juicy every blog post every day kind of cadence, you get through it a week and your audience is like, what happened? Uh, but if you pick something that you know makes sense for you, you're much more likely to stick to it. And again, as you say, build that trust. So good for you publishing a podcast every week. That's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's sheer power. I'm proud of this. Yeah, sheer power. One day I'll share how I do it, but for now it's going to be a secret. So the... Your framework, right? Again, yes. you talk to your clients, talk to your colleagues, talk to yourself, right? You collect those ideas, mm -hmm. you ship them, you see how people react. Now, let's talk to the level after that, right? So you as a business offers a way for small business owners to stand out and, and, and to find really what resonates. So all of those ideas can be very good, but how do you advise people then to pick this one thing, this one mm -hmm. thing that they really need to repeat everywhere, right? Uh, for you about like the standing out, for me about like marketing bullshit. How do you go to this core of the core of the core of your business? And like, how do you know this is the right thing? Do you have a process for that? Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a process, yes. A simple, straightforward answer, no. But I found, so when I was developing my brand statement piece studio, it actually took uh, kind of, you know, two and a half years to come together. But the idea was always really solid. And the idea was, again, helping people stand out on the internet. And I find people forget that when they think about the core idea sort of behind their brands, behind their content, behind everything that they do, they look, if they're a business owner, they look only to their business for that information. But in reality, you are just in the way that your mom writing that story is totally unique because of her experience. You are, as an entrepreneur, unique because of your real life experience beyond just the work you do with your clients and your, your students and customers. So what I found to be really useful, and this was uh, my mentor, Sarah Uncalmo Ashman of uh, Public Persona taught me this, is that you look around at your life and you look around at the patterns. You look around at what is um, what you, what people have been coming to you or saying about you your whole life, what people have been, what people sort of come to you when they enter your world as a business owner, what makes you really excited to do for your clients and customers. And in my case, I don't know if you could guess this by uh, meeting me or talking to me, Louise, but I was 
born with a Godzilla of a personality. I just came out of the womb just loud and brightly colored and very festive. Um, and my entire life, everyone had been kind of telling me, you know, tone it down, stay calm, indoor voice, please slow down. Um, and I, it frustrated me for a lot of my life because it's you, how can we deny our nature, although I did my best. And so when I became a business owner, when I became a writer, I realized that my loudness and the, the I am just, it's hard to miss me. Like, you hear me laugh from like three rooms away. I'm just very, again, I have my voice um, echoes and I, I stand out regardless if I try to be quiet or not. So, so learning to embrace that natural sort of standout nature also I found as I, I went through business and continued to build iterations of my brand, it gave people the courage to do the same. And I had people coming to me again and again saying, I love what you do with your brand. It gave me the courage to try this or like wear this crazy outfit or give this because I see you owning that. I see you owning who you are. And that's not just in my business life, but in my personal life as well. I had a number of fellow uh, lady friends and gentleman friends as well who uh, often felt a little bit shy and being about who they were and being honest and being themselves and, and uh, being connected to me in some way, whether it's seeing me speak or seeing my business or um, getting to know me in person, it, I realized that uh, subconsciously I was giving them permission to do the same. So I got really, really excited about that as a business owner and from a brand perspective, because I realized that's what I was doing in all of my copy. That's what I was doing in all of my content. That's what I was doing in all of my outfits. It's statement piece studio because at any given time, I'm always wearing one statement piece of jewelry because, you know, we got the headphones right now. We got the engagement ring. Um, uh, so I've got all kinds of rings and necklaces that I'm wearing all the time because subconsciously I want the world to know a little bit about who I am before I have to open my mouth and say anything. Because when you take a stand, when you are clear in your branding, when you are clear in your messaging, your messaging speaks for itself before you have to say another word. And that's what I was helping people do. So whenever people come to me wondering how you settle on that core idea, I would encourage them to think outside of the box of their business and think in terms of what have people been coming to you your whole life for that weaves its way into your business and fills you with joy and surprise. Uh, sometimes like a surprising level of energy. What that is often the pillar idea that you can build a brand around because it feels natural. It feels like you and it's built to evolve with you. Um, I've read this book. I mean, it's more of a framework slash book slash workbook. I, I don't know if you've read about it called The Unique Ability. You probably have. Uh, it's, oh, you have or you haven't? Not. You no. have not. So it's it's basically a framework where you, you, you compile a few data, pieces of data from like, you know, the, the self reported test about yourself, but also there's one piece that I liked yeah. and I've employed myself, which is asking your peers and colleagues and friends who know you very well, what is the, your unique ability? What is the thing that you do better than anyone else, right? According to them. Yes. And it touches a bit on what you're talking about, because I mean, what you say makes sense to me, right? And I can see the steps that are required to achieve this, right? For me, I've yes. always been very cynical and contrarian. I always like to challenge the, the status quo. <laughs> I fucking hate seeing... Like every time you see something that, that is everywhere, I will find ways to, criti to criticize it and find a better way. So that's for me. That's just what I do naturally. I don't know why exactly. But I've discovered that recently. I've made this connection recently. So in practical step, like apart from asking people directly, do you have any other mm -hmm. advice to find that out for people who really struggle with this step? Mm -hmm. uh, I find if you're really struggling with this stuff, the best move is to talk to the people who you know love you and know you about what your unique ability is. But I also find that um, another piece of this step is uh, developing a sense of confidence around what you're really good at. Because I find with entrepreneurs and people in the branding space, when they're asked what they're really good at and somebody tells them, their first instinct is to say like, oh, no, 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 it's not that. Because it comes so easily for them and it doesn't feel like work. So I think... Um, I think that's the other way to of looking at it is saying like, what is something, what's something that has you've become sort of known for in your life that translates into your work and the results you get for your clients and customers. And it makes, and often it is something that feels so easy. You miss it and you forget that it's a skill because it comes so easily to you. It's just instant. Yeah. And that was the case for, you know, making a statement and, and be standing out. I was like, well, there's nothing I can do. Like I'm so, I, I am so loud. I have no choice. Can I teach other people this? When in reality you are teaching at the minimum leading by example. I love this so because just, it's yeah, it, it's, it's, it's all about 
the things that you think are obvious, right? Which comes with imposter syndrome. Obviously, your personality yeah. is your personality and you know it and you, you take it for granted. But guess what? You probably have a lot of strengths and qualities that are quite unique, not 100% unique, but that are quite rare. And asking other yeah. people who are maybe not even in your industry, people who know you, friends, family, for this perspective would probably give you some boost and some proper level of insight. And from the unique abilities standpoint and the framework I talked to you about, what they say as well is that usually the same thing uh, occur every uh, every now and then. So the, the people will tell you the same shit every time, almost, from different angles. Mm -hmm. And you just know that it's true because everyone is telling you the same thing. So for me, asking good questions or a lot of people say that or say that the contrarian piece, it's just so obvious that you just... You just come back to the same core. And now it's about courage, right? It's about courage of trying trying it out. So yeah. let's say once we have that, right? Like we know for you, it's like about standing out and being loud and being noticed, right? Which is great because it mm -hmm. fits your personality. How do you advise people to take the courage to turn that internal thought into, okay, this is me. This is who I know, like to be myself. Mm -hmm. how, do, how do you find the courage to, to go outside and fucking publicize it and share it to the world? I found the best way for me to start talking about this was to create a tool, um, a tool about it and to create a, something that I knew could help people that bolster the idea. Because in that case, it wouldn't just me being like, hey, guys, guess what I'm good at? I had to kind of prove prove it to myself and then uh, feel like I could prove it to my audience. And that's actually how the statement piece framework was born. That was my tester uh, for the statement piece brand where I had to, I said, okay, so I am about really good ideas that are bold, that stand out, that make you unmissable in your market. What does that actually look like? How do I help people find those ideas? And I drew a huge blank uh, about what that was. And I, I did what everybody does uh, when they are drawing a blank, uh, which you'll probably get mad at me for, but I Googled how to come up with an idea framework, which was the stupidest thing I could have done. Um, but it's the natural reaction because we don't trust ourselves. We don't. Um, and learning to have the courage to look within and to dig out what's true for you in your own processes, it takes way more work, but it is infinitely more rewarding. So in my case, actually, this is shout out Margot Aaron, because I came up with three different versions of the framework. And I was like, something is not right. Like I tried to do weird stuff, like flip the traditional model of like, who's your audience? What do they need? I flipped it like upside down to put audience last, because that always stressed people out. I had all these weird ideas. And she was like, these are fine. These are not what people are coming to you for. You know, people want to know when, how you come up with those standout ideas. Like, when does that happen? What's your process? I was like, there is no process. It just happens. But I realized as I sat with it and continued to notice uh, when I came up with these ideas and just like sat with what I knew to be true about myself, I, I realized that it was when I was leaving those dinners with colleagues, when I was getting off the phone with clients and I was standing, brushing my teeth and I was like, oh, this thing just drives me crazy. Um, that was where the ideas were coming from. And so I wanted to help people take notice of them. And that's how the framework was born. Um, so I find the best and that really built my confidence in the fact that like, okay, I'm here to help people stand out because I was able to create something, a very small tool, a very modest tool, a free tool, uh, that helped people think and see things the way I did in a way that felt actionable and usable. And that's when I knew I was onto something, especially when I saw the response, especially when I had, you know, 200 downloads in four hours with no advertising, all that good stuff. Like it, it struck a nerve and it filled me with momentum as things do. I've actually downloaded it as soon as you launched, I think, because I was quite interested oh, in, the, <laughs> in the thing because it connected with me. So that was good. So to summarize, from your perspective, what you would advise people to do once they find, once they seem to find this one core idea is mm -hmm. instead of saying, hey, I have this one core idea, this is who I am and I'm all beautiful, is to <laughs> center it around your audience and help and try to help them out first, right? So you would give them exactly. the tools that they need to achieve what you think you're good at, right? Yeah, and not necessarily all tools at once because you won't know all the tools at once if you've just had the aha. Uh -huh. But thinking of a, a problem that your natural gift solves that you can offer them an answer for. And that might be an opt-in, that might be a blog post, unless you hate those, in which case, you know, podcast episode, YouTube video, uh, email series, video series, tell us something, whatever it might be. Be. And then not only do you get a chance to sort of see what that gift looks like when you're intentionally tapping into it and using it, but you're able to gauge audience response and make sure that you're on the right track. And most of the time you're going to be. So saddle up for that. All right. I think that's a pretty cool process to follow. It really sounds 
not in a bad way, but it sounds self-centered, which is great because we talk a lot on this podcast about centering stuff on, on your customer, interviewing customer, but it's true that we also need to recenter ourselves a bit more, identifying what energizes the most and fucking go for it. So thanks for, for doing all of that, Hilary. You talked about it a bit. You talked, you touched on it a bit about your personality. Can you give me a, like an event in your, in your life, like childhood or adult life that summarizes who you are the best? Wow. God, that's a great question. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that one. If an event in my life that summarizes me the best, if I give a long pause while you edit it out. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Let me chew on this. I, you know what I'm going to say, and this is a recent example, maybe not the core example, but this is the first one that popped to my brain. It was actually uh, a, a, an example of this in action and my personality in action was actually the creation of Hamya, uh, which of course I had a partner in my partner in crime and business, Marco Aaron. Um, but how Hamya came to be, I don't Hillary and Margot yell at websites because we prefer the longer name. Um, how it came to be was Margot and I were what? Having dinner, dinner between two colleagues. Wine was flowing. We were having an awesome evening. And um, both of us are very energetic, naturally noisy people. So we were, <laughs> Louis is nodding. You can't see him, but he is. Um, he's nodding and smiling. Um, but we were at dinner and we, again, wine was flowing. We probably put away like a bottle of rosé or something. And we decided to go to the bar for a nightcap because we were in the middle of a debate and it was about sales or pricing or something. And, and we were kind of on either side of it. And we were sitting at this bar and I was like, you know what? We should be doing something with this. We should be doing something with this right now because it's a really good idea. And I'm about those ideas and let's just go for it. And so uh, she says, okay, well, what do you want to do? I said, Instagram video. She's like, oh no, I don't do video. I, I don't know how. So I was like, give me, give me your phone, Marco. Give me your phone. So I got on her phone and started Instagram living uh, the commentary. So I had her talk about it. I had me talk about it. And then she stole my phone and suddenly Margo could do video. Um, and so she started having this conversation on my Instagram live about these two sides. And we share a lot of overlap in audience, but, and, uh, we had an incredible response to it. So we had a fantastic sort of reply to the content and they're like, we could watch you guys debate and talk about this stuff all day. And so she and I sat down and said, okay, maybe there will be something here. Why don't we try it? And we decided not to think about it too hard. We decided to give it a kind of bizarre name and we decided to put, just not think about it, put together a few episodes, put it out there and see what happens. Put it out there by just sharing our opinions and feedback and creating a show to almost be a cult hit marketing show. Because I think creating cult hit anything is so much more of a fun focus than creating something for mass appeal. So we essentially created this show where we were able to shoot from the hip about marketing to people who were advanced. We weren't explaining any one-on-one concepts, but we sat down and just had these conversations we felt needed to be had, conversations we enjoyed. And as you know, the show kind of took off. Um, it was really, really well received. People seemed to be hungry for it, which we weren't ready for. There was no data to back it up. We did no research, no customer interviews. But what we did was realize we had two personalities that meshed well together. We had things we wanted to say, and we wanted to put it out there immediately without thinking about it too hard. So within, I think, like two weeks, we had our first episode up. I'm amazed at, at how you managed to give a response to a personal question and going back and promoting your show. So well done <laughs> on this. But to deconstruct what you've done really... <laughs> You thought about it. Everybody hates marketers. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you thought about it, and instead of thinking about it for too long, you fucking just created an MVP version of it, right? The first version of it yeah. without thinking. And you got a direct response back, right? You got feedback, yeah. which is yeah. from your audience, right? So ultimately, you did some research. Even if it didn't seem like it, you did some. If it hadn't connected, if no one had really given a shit about this Instagram video, I doubt that you would have maybe, you know, kept going. So no, it, not. Right. So it gave you further confidence to just go for it, and especially Margot to go to go for it and to show her face in videos. So I think it's a, yeah, it's a great summary of who you are, and it's also a great summary of of what you advocate, right? Uh, so thanks yeah. for sharing this. On the on the other side of things, I don't know if you're willing to share this, but you know you you are a very good copywriter. You've done a lot of amazing work for a lot of clients, as you say. You're teaching a lot of students and all of that. What would be your biggest marketing fuck up? What would be the one that you cringe the most about at nighttime? Oh boy. Oh God. Yeah. I've got answers for this. Which one is the question? Let me, let me sit with that for a minute. You know, that's not really a cringe. That's just kind of a sad story. Let me think. Um, I, sad is good. I think <laughs> sad is sad. Good. It's not a, it's, I don't know. It's hard to call it a cringe because I've, um, in terms of just like things that I put out there, I think, I did kind of a, I did um, 
So the first time I launched uh, my copywriting course, the workshops that's now retired, I had for all intents and purposes, a strong launch. I did well, but I also uh, took so long to create it. It took me like three years to build this thing, 10 K to produce it. Cause I'm out of my mind. And then I had this crazy launch and this launch, cause I was pretty much solo right now. I had a bad back then. I had a, I have a small team now, but I had a VA who wasn't really familiar with product launches. So it was basically me. And I decided what would be a great idea would be that if I did a blog post writing challenge before the workshop, which is a copywriting course, blog posts and the kind of copywriting I was teaching don't really connect. So I kind of wish I hadn't done that. But the biggest problem was the fact that it I was supposed to, I built the workshops to be launched every quarter. And I, this was going to be my launch strategy. This is how I was going to do it. And it was a five day blog post writing challenge, daily prompts, daily videos that lasted like an hour. I don't know what I was talking about. Like personalized feedback. If you submitted stuff and it was just crazy. And I remember the day before the night before I started it, I was like, I have bitten off more than I can chew. But how I knew that was that I felt like I barely slept at all. And I had, my mouth was completely dry. I woke up, my lips were swollen. My head was pounding. And I was like, what the fuck? And I had dreams of standing in my kitchen, just standing there in the dark, like in my pajamas, just like, and I, and I remember I had dreams about struggling to open the door. And my fiance was like, Hey, did you, did you sleep okay last night? I was like, no, I, I don't feel like, I don't think I did. He's like, cause you were up and down a lot. I have no memory of ever getting out of bed. I was sleepwalking. I was so stressed out. So I had set this insane standard for myself. And then, you know what I had to do that morning before I taught my first hour long blog writing class, I was supposed to get on a 90 minute podcast episode and record. So that's exactly what I did. And I was exhausted. I just went through the whole week and fried myself and Sure, it sold. Sure, everything was, by all intents and purposes, awesome. But I completely fried myself on the program. And within a year, I had retired it. Because you burned out uh, of it? Right. Yep. yep, totally. And I cringe just because, like, we, we are so, I'm so, was so set on over-delivering. I forgot about what made sense and was logical. And it, would, it was what was needed. It was not necessary. So I cringe because I'm like, well, I really wore myself out. And for what? Like, a five figure launch. That's fine. But, but, Oh my God, never again. And I was so burned out. I ended up retiring the product. Well, I appreciate you sharing this, uh, to be very open, uh, authentic with the audience. I think people like that. So thanks. I know it's not easy to talk about this, but again, it talks uh, like we talked about it a bit a few minutes ago about like making sure that you plan things ahead, that you speak a frequency and that you don't burn yourself to the ground by thinking that you can do something that you can't really sustain in the long term, Right. Exactly. Um, Hilary, you've been a pleasure to talk to a lot of energy, obviously, uh, that's what you do, right? So what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? I would say understanding where their best ideas come from and how to be confident in them. And of course there's, there's, you need to know your audience and you need to know all of this stuff, but I would love to see more marketers explore and understand what deep self-trust feels like understanding that their ideas are good and taking a chance on things that might seem a little out there. They might seem a little different, but that fill them up with energy. I would like to see more people do that and learn that skill because it builds, as you know, incredible momentum, incredible trust. And ultimately it votes a long game, incredible results. What are the top three resources you'd recommend listeners today? So it could be anything from book, podcast, conferences, anything. Oh gosh. Um, if you're a copywriter, I absolutely love the copywriter club, uh, conference copyright TCC IRL is what it's called. Um, I've spoken the last two years. It's awesome. Um, if you're a copywriter, even if you're a marketer who dabbles in copywriting, it's worth going to, um, they have all of the best names in, um, copywriting on there. It's similar to, uh, Kevin Rogers copy chief, but a little less, uh, Agora and AWAI. I think that's the acronym, uh, focused and it has a, a wide range of copywriters kind of from all disciplines, uh, which I really love. Um, the second resource I have to say, um, Margot Aaron has one of my favorite newsletters of all time. So check out the, that seems important, uh, newsletter. And, um, I would say the third, I would say the third would be watch Hamya on YouTube, but I've already promoted that. So, um, I actually really enjoyed another podcast I was on. I was listening back. Uh, if, if you are developers, if you are designers, um, Jason Resnick has a really awesome community and podcast called live in the feast, uh, which is a little similar to this one, but where he gets real about sort of business development for entrepreneurs at all stages. And it's really candid and the kind of juice that you get from your podcast too, which is let's cut through the bullshit. Let's focus on what's working and what's not. And let's tell the true stories. So 
And of course, this podcast is freaking awesome too. So keep listening to this one, everybody. Thanks, appreciate it. Yeah, a lot of good uh, resources. Turns out a lot of people listening to this show are actually copywriters and writers in general. Uh, quite interesting uh, trend right there. I don't know if it's, they tend to send me more emails than others, but conversion copywriters, UX copywriters, copywriters, a yeah. lot of writers. So hi, everyone uh, who are writers uh, listening <laughs> to this. Um, hi. <laughs> the Copywriter Club is also a Facebook group, by the way. It's a free Facebook group. I should have mentioned that. Where can listeners connect with you, learn more from you? Well, you can stop by my website uh, and blog at www.hillarywife.com. That's H-I-L-L-A-R-Y-W-E-I-S-S.com. Uh, if you want to drop me an email, it's hello at hillarywife.com. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram under the handle at H.C. Weiss. That's uh, my initials, Hillary Claire Weiss. And then you can find me on Facebook just under my name, Hillary Weiss. I'll be wearing the one wearing the uh, primary color dress. So you'll know it's me. <laughs> Beautiful. Thanks so much uh, for sharing your, your guests into this podcast. I really liked our conversation. I think it confirmed a lot of stuff I had in my head that I hadn't already heard anyone else saying. So yeah, you have a, a strong point of view and keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Luis. This has been a pleasure. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email lists uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a one-to-one -one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also... Uh, have you on the show uh, someday so don't be afraid to subscribe I'm not going to spam you and you can always uns unsubscribe for sure if you wish the second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback we know that this show is not perfect yet and we always uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends, your colleagues, or whoever might like it. And also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast. Because if you leave us a five-star review, it means that more people would be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker. So thank you so much once again, and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.